Yes, welcome to the Salam Project podcast. We're here with the senior mental health advisor and consultant for the Salam Project, Brother Rashid Rose, practitioner in the Afro-Caribbean community and the Muslim community with regards to mental health. I'm honoured to have him working with the Salam Project, first of all, and I'm also honoured that he's here spending time with me now in this podcast and we'll be talking today about post-traumatic slave syndrome. We'll be speaking about reparations and we'll be speaking about the solutions and healing for our people. Greetings, Brother Rashid Rose. Assalamu alaikum, Brother Glad to be on here. Thank you for blessing me with your time. Um, Basically, for those that don't know, and we're living in a time where there's a lot of fakesters out there, could you share with us your experiences and qualifications in the realm of mental health? Well, I've been a mental health practitioner with the NHS for some 26 years. I'm a clinical counselor by profession. I have done many different courses in mental health. And I've been, like I said, I've been a mental health for the last 26 years. And it's the only thing I really know what to do. So I deal with people, difficulties, stress, trauma, you name it, I've done it. So do some psychotherapy as well, but clinical counseling in mental health is really my forte. Okay, let's get right to it. What sure. is post-traumatic slave syndrome? Post-traumatic slave syndrome, as defined by Joy DeGoy, the, the sister who actually researched and developed this concept, is the study of trauma impacted on Black people through slavery and the impact that trauma had on black people and is currently still having on black people today. It is a, a trauma that most black people never heard about. People hear about post-traumatic mm. stress disorder. People hear about different types of stress, but post-traumatic slave disorder is something that is not particularly common in the black community. And I think it's time that more black people become aware of some of the defects in our upbringing, in our practices, which is a result of post-traumatic slave syndrome. Okay, and how relevant is it today for black communities in the UK, Europe, and the diaspora, even on the mainland, Africa and the Caribbean? Post-traumatic slave syndrome affects every black person post-slavery. And it started even before slavery commenced, because when the Europeans went into Africa and they start taking brothers and sisters out the continent, the trauma that the experiences, let's say, in the caves of Ghana in the Elmina Castle, and many people have gone back to Ghana to visit these places and have become traumatized just looking at these places. So you could imagine brothers and sisters kept in the Elmina Casa for six months at a time with a roof in that place was no more than four feet high, dark, people effocated on themselves. And up until today, the stench in that place is still present for women, from the men's is men effocating, like I said. So to experience that kind of trauma, even before you came to the Caribbean or the, or the South America or wherever else, the trauma commenced then. Coming on the slave trip, there was more trauma. So we brought a whole traumatized experience with us into the plantation where we experienced the ultimate trauma, beating and raping and savagery and butchery and above all, racism. So it is relevant today as it was then. And of course, 
when you study modern sciences and psychology and so on, psychology is basically used to control the behavior of people. And in particular, black people are affected by that process. This is why they have some scholars today, like brother named Akbar and myself who's working on a PhD in, in black psychology. Black psychology is now addressing these issues to correct it from a psychological perspective because most of what we learn in psychology is from a Eurocentric perspective. So we now have to rewrite psychology to address the balance in terms of post-traumatic slave syndrome, something that most black people have experienced and is experiencing, but a lot of them don't really know. It's quite crucial that we understand the effects and causes of post-traumatic slave syndrome. And I pay homage to Joy Goy for the last 20 years or so, she's been advocating this concept and her work and, and her method and her ideology on post-traumatic slave syndrome is absolutely crucial in terms of helping the Black community universally to heal from an identity crisis, which we have developed and inferiority complexes, which we have developed as a result of post-traumatic slave syndrome. It's quite crucial, it's very, very crucial. It cannot be underestimated the effects of that because you look at some military men go to the Gulf War in 1980 and they come back with post-traumatic Gulf syndrome. That's after two years. We had 400 years in the plantation, four, not four days or four weeks. 400 years with no therapist to deal with us when we lost a loved one, when our mother was raped, our sisters were raped. We had no therapist when our child had been molested by the pedophiles in the, in the slave plantation. We had no therapist to correct our wrongs. We had to bear the burden and the, and the pains by ourselves and develop coping mechanisms, one of which is by telling ourselves, get on with it. You ever heard that phrase? Pull yourself together. Yes. Those are, those are the coping mechanisms used. Pull yourself together, get yourself together. You just can't pull yourself together if you have nothing to pull together. And when you are lost, and when you can't find what you're looking for within yourselves, it's quite difficult to say pull yourself together. You need to have something to hold on to. And what we need to hold on to is understanding where we went wrong, why we went wrong, and how we can put that right. You said in, when you were speaking that a lot of the if not all of the research um, gathered by academics and practitioners with regards to mental health um, intervention are predominantly done for white Eurocentric communities. Are, so are you saying there's no research available where practitioners are utilizing research available on black communities? There's research available now, thanks to people like Naeem Akbar and Brothers in the States from, from 1968 on when the American Black Psychological Society was created. They have been able to write, rewrite psychology from a black perspective because, and this is why there was an overrepresentation of black people in the mental health system because the system wasn't designed to really cure us. The system wasn't designed to look after us. The system was designed to control us. So the system was designed specifically in a way that we will be controlled. When I say we're talking black people, we will be controlled. We will have the same privileges as the, as, as the white minority because the white, white folks, in, in, in essence, is just 2.2% of the global population today. We are a much larger population, but you wouldn't think so, would you? So yes, there are now sciences available that we can use, techniques that we can use now, because 
when you're talking about therapy and you go to, let's say, European psychologist or psychiatrist, they don't take into consideration our history. They don't take into consideration the effects slavery has had upon us as a person. Black psychology take all these facets into consideration and use those facets as a method of understanding how to be with Black people. Because if you don't know the, the, the causes of somebody's problem, how are you going to fix it? And European psychology is, is, is mass, it's, it's, it's wide, and it's not specific to one group of people. So it is really not written for us. So this is why okay. brothers in America had to really come up with a method of dealing with psychology from a non-Eurocentric perspective. So yes, there is no research available in, in, in the world that can deal with our issues from a Black African perspective, and that is so unique and so useful because I've worked with psychologists and psychiatrists before, and I will tell you straight, the amount of Black people in the mental health system is no accident, it's almost literal. I mean, how could, how could the number one diagnosis of Black people in the world be schizophrenia? Number one? Num number one diagnosis of Black people in mental health is schizophrenia. So we, in, this, in the psychology and psychiatry books, it is, it is noted Black people are more prone to schizophrenia than any other group. Isn't that discriminatory? And for those that don't know, we hear these words, mental health, schizophrenia. What is schizophrenia? Schizophrenia is, in, in, in essence, it's a disordered mind, a, a, a dysfunctional mind where you see things almost back to front. You never see things in, in its cognitive manner. It's almost back to front, almost upside down. So to say that black people are more prone to, to be ma malfunctioning is discriminatory, but it's also, it's also deliberate in making us feel we are inferior to other races of people, in particular white folks. So schizophrenia is, 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 is a, it's a mental illness which affects people and medications available for people with schizophrenia. But I say we black folks are more prone to schizophrenia than anyone else is absolutely ridiculous. You check the World Health Organization website for the yeah. Caribbean and mental health. The number one diagnosis is for Caribbean people mental schizophrenia. So they give the impression that we can't function without their support. We can't function without their being there. And they have to give us a guidelines on how to function. If we don't function according to the rules and regulations, we are schizophrenic. Take, for example, you bring a brother here from the Caribbean or Africa where it's extremely hot, have yes. never experienced snow, have mm. never experienced cold. To make that physical adjustment to winter is difficult. And for most Black people from, from October this month up until February, we are going to be experiencing depression because of the absence of vitamin D, which comes from the sun. So we advocate in mental health that black folks take vitamin D3, not just vitamin D, vitamin D3. Now, and what um, is vitamin D3 for those? Vitamin D3 have added ingredients for, to, to, in, to interact with the melanin in our skin. Vitamin D is, is more broad, but vitamin D3 is specific for black people with, with, with melanin. So it, it, it stores the, the, the vitamin content in, in our skin and it takes us through the winter. A lot of people don't, don't have vitamin D3. Vitamin D3 is really for us. So from October onwards, we need to be taking as much vitamin D3 as possible because if you don't do that, because of the absence of the sun, the point I was making, 
a lot of black people, a lot of dark-skinned people, I should say, don't affect white people, become depressed between October, February, and people don't know why. People are going to meltdown, people are feeling a charge, lethargic, they don't want to go to work, they don't want to go to school, people don't understand why. It's the absence of the sun. So the point of making you bring some honey from Africa or the Caribbean, where it's extremely hot, and come to a cold country in the winter, it is difficult to make that physical adjustments. And if you show signs of weakness or depression, you go to see a consultant, the first thing they diagnose you with depression, stroke, schizophrenia. We are energetic people. We love sunshine. That is what gives us energy. The sun gives us energy in order to function. In Europe, there's very little sun. So we, we malfunction almost. And it's on that basis, mm. these so-called psychiatrists, psychologists feel we are schizophrenic because we can't adapt to the cold. Who won't adapt to cold? And does this include, because um, you mentioned when um, our African or Caribbean brothers are in from the uh, uh, Canada and America come to the UK, they can suffer this. Does this include black British people, black um, communities who are born any, in, any, here in the any, UK? Any person of colour, any person. I, I know someone, I know someone. Personally, I know people, as a matter of fact, personally, and in, and in, my, and in my experience working with working the health system, yes, people are born here, suffer that meltdown come, come October. Because most of my, most of my, or some of my clients who are black, you can guarantee come October, the whole, as soon as the clock goes back, the whole mode changes. There is withdrawal symptoms, they don't want to go outside, they can't be bothered to eat, they can't be bothered to change. As soon as the weather changes, come October, when the clock goes back, is a completely different personality. Same because the sun or the absence of the sun affects our mood. This is why it's important for us to take vitamin D3 to take us through the winter. So is vitamin D3, is it found in any foods? Vitamin D3 mainly come in a supplement form. That is the easiest way to obtain it. I'm sure with research you can find vitamin D3 in a, in a natural form. But in supplements, and you can get it anywhere to buy, and any pharmacist can get vitamin D3, but it's really specifically, it's best suited for black people. Let's put it that way. And the earlier you start taking, the better it is for you because it stores up that energy in your body and takes you through, takes you through the winter. So there may be, there, if we, I mean, research will show you that. I'm sure there's natural, natural food that give you vitamin D3, but as it stands that I know of today, it come, and you can get it, vitamin D3 comes in supplements. And how much, so like you said, when the clock goes back, when it's, as we know, the winter starts from October mm-hmm. to February, slash the beginning of March, mm-hmm. how much should they be taking? Or well, it- one a day, one a day is good enough. One a day is good, it depends. One a day, I would recommend one a day. Depends on the- and is there anything else you would advise to do on top of that? Well, regular exercise, of course, when doing harm, walking is, is a useful method of dealing with um with, 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 with to combat that, that kind of feeling at that time of vitamin D. And walking is very, very useful. Walking, and we we, we have made a connection. When I say we win the mental fraternity, made a connection recently. There was a system five live some, some weeks ago that made a connection between nature in terms of going through the woods and forests when you're feeling oh. down and depressed and men, and, and balancing the mental health. So if you're feeling depressed in the winter or any time else, or taking a walk in green areas, forests or pastures, anywhere like that, is good for your mental health. It's really and for how for many hours or how long would you... 40, 45 minutes max is useful. Not fast walking, gentle pace, gentle pace, nothing to... I mean, cycling. In a park or forest. In a park, anywhere green, anywhere yeah. green, anywhere green. It's mm-hmm. very, very useful if you're feeling down 
very useful. That has been proven that green pastures and anyway green forests, if you're feeling a bit depressed, take a walk. It helps. I'm not saying it's the ultimate and definitive cure. Don't 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 let's yeah. go. Don't let's get us wrong. But it really, really helps to lift you up as a person. But as a man who's a reparations uh, activist, for those that don't know, could you tell us what the rep a brief outline of what the reparations movement is, and if it's connected in any way to post-traumatic slave syndrome? If there's, <laughs> if there's any connection. Very good question, Ishmael. To make a direct connection, I would say. There is a direct connection because some 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 people are making a connection between both of them because as the Stanford say here with Kota as an excellent researcher of both both both, both disciplines, post-matter slave syndrome and reparations, she made a connection between both of them. And she feels they have they have to go together because to understand reparations and the need for reparations is it's, it's a liberating force. And you can't have reparations where we all Let's say, let's say the governments of Europe become very benevolent tomorrow and give all the Caribbean African countries $100 million each. I mean, they can't afford to do that, but they wouldn't. She said that really wouldn't solve the problem of Black people. Because until we address post-traumatic slave syndrome and the effects it has had on us psychologically, no amount of money mm-hmm. can make us what we need to be. It's a man, like Bob Marley said, emancipate yourself from mental slavery. So money in itself cannot address the issues that we have. So reparations as a, as a process is only one of the stepping blocks towards ultimate liberation for Black people. Because what can very well happen? Let's say white folks decide to um, distribute and give up reparations. And they, they bless all the Caribbean states and Africans with lots of money. Even have a lot of people becoming more depressed because they will not know what to buy next. Mercedes and BMWs and how much hundred thousand pairs of trainers. And that in itself brings about a lot of pressure. Because yes. materialism brings about a lot of pressure. So reparations in terms of a political strategy is useful in terms of liberating black people. You've got to be very, very careful with reparations in terms of the impact it can have on us if it's not channeled properly. And the system reparations is about, and I do some work in the Caribbean governments in terms of advocating it out in the UK. The Caribbean governments have advocated a, a 10 point plan. I mean, this, I could, I could put it on the internet. I, it's a whole 10 point plan where they believe certain steps need to be taken. And not too long ago, the University of Glasgow have actually paid reparations to the University of West Indies in tune of 20 million pounds. But this was done as scholarships. They didn't give the money to no individuals. Mm. The University of Glasgow and and a lot of other companies and a lot of other businesses recently put up their hands since the COVID thing started and Black Lives Matter started. And the Seven Adventist Church and others have put up their hands and said they're very sorry for the, the involvement in the slave trade. University of Glasgow paid back 20 million pounds, which was in the form of grants and bursaries for research and for scholarships. Because yeah. someone said, if you put 50 billion pounds in the black community today, within years, most of it would, would be gone to Mercedes and BMWs yeah. and whoever else. This is what this was going to happen. I look, think within six months, personally. Look at the COVID six... lockdown. When they lifted yeah. COVID recently, the night shop in London was inundated with riots. Black men, one of the latest trainers, although they didn't have enough trainers. So, so how is it linked to post-traumatic slave syndrome? Do you think, 
I'm ask, I'm just asking as an observer, if the descendants of major slave traders and or institutions, i.e., like the Lloyds of London, um, the insurance brokers, and were to apologize for their forefathers' part in slavery, would that add a healing to the descendants of sure, the transatlantic slave sure. trade? That, that would certainly help, That would certainly help. If, I mean, some institutions have already start making apologies, and that's for their own conscience, really, and political correctness, too. I don't think they really mean sincerely to apologize because some people say black people are waste of time in the world and they really should be eliminated. But for political correctness and for continuity of businesses, they are making apologies, which they have been forced to do for political correctness. So if the lawyers of London and, and, and the Barclays and, and whoever else who have been insuring slaves, and you know, slavery is a whole business. Lords of mm-hmm. London would, would they want to insure the slave ships and the, and the chains have to be made for slavery. If these people start apologizing, it is, is a step in the right direction. It's not the ultimate. But what we need is for governments of Europe to make a, col- a collective, a collective apology. Not one one apology. It has to be a collective apology where they have in principle agreed to make an apology and to pay reparations as a healing process. Not a reparation financially to corrupt black people by having them spend the money like crazy. <laughs> this is what this is what can very well happen because yes, okay, there is money in the world held by a few a few people, and if these so-called capitalists want to be really really very flippant, they can say, "All right, they're asking for reparations. Let's give them the money." And I'm telling you, Shmaheen, within ten years, half of that money will be right back where it started in the banks of America, banks of England, <laughs> banks of. A, so then you have to be careful when you talk reparations is what impact financial contributions can have on black people if they are given that amount of money. And the governments in, the, in Africa and the Caribbean will have a feeling because there's so much corrupt politicians in Africa and the Caribbean and Central America. Imagine putting $10 billion in, 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 a, in a poor country like where I'm from, St. Vincent, in yes. the hands of politicians in Grenada, Dominica, Oy. Antigua, El Salvador, Guatemala. Uh-huh. Politicians think Christmas come early. <laughs> <laughs> so we don't need the Chinese no more. You, we just you know what I mean? <laughs> you get put, put 10 million pounds in some 10 billion pounds in some of these banks in these places like Peru and El Salvador. And you're joking. Poor people ain't gonna see that money. Poverty mm. would never so it could have detriment a detrimental effect mm. on these countries if it's not channeled properly. So the financial Payout is just one aspect, but it's the healing process that reparations is really meant to bring to black people, which is significant. Where white folks are really supposed to say sorry. Like when South Africa went through the whole process where they had the reconciliation committee, where the folks would sit down with each other and reconcile and express the differences. That method, that method of humanism needs to be Im- implemented within the whole reparations process. And not just to pay out sums of money and then it's closed, no. There must be a healing process. Also, Baba Mashid, I would like to ask you, as a mental health practitioner and an experienced one, I should say, and a man who does a lot of community work in the Caribbean community here in the UK and on in the Caribbean as well, there's a lot of talk about weed, weed ganja, marijuana legalization. Personally, <laughs> I don't agree with it. That's just my opinion. Okay. I'm not a mental health practitioner. Um, 
what may I ask your opinion of it if it's a positive or negative thing and if it's productive I personally believe it's not good but I would love to hear you as a professional on your view on weed marijuana legalization there are different types of cannabis of course and cannabis is now being legalized for medicinal purposes and it depends it depends Ishmael because there is something called skunk now, really, that get into your brain, it can cause serious damage. What? But the Rastafarians have been advocating the, the sale of the legalization of marijuana for a very long time, and it's become part of their healing culture because they argue that the, the marijuana that they use is pure, it, it have it, it have no chemicals in it, and it is used for medicinal purposes. That's why they use it. But some other people add bits and pieces to the pure marijuana and it becomes a drug. And it's that kind of cannabis, I believe, is detrimental to the mental health of any individual. So you got to make a differentiation between what kind of marijuana you're talking about. The marijuana is used for medicinal purposes. So you can extract it, extract the substance to make the liquid fit to make medicine. You can make other stuff from that. And there's another type of cannabis which has really been manufactured to get you high. So it's two different types. The one that's manufactured, yeah, you mm. try to avoid it as much as possible. That's what it's going to knock you. That's the skunk and would you say spice as well? What, whatever it is. But I know the rasters have it right. And only recently in Antigua, the rasters have been given a reprieve. Oh. An apology from the government. I think our government has invented on the same thing. The Antigua was the first one to pardon the rasters with a written apology in parliament and, and freeing all those who was in prison for the sale and use of marijuana, because marijuana is now a sacred thing by the Rastafarians, just like wine is to the church and you know other people do the different religious purposes. The Rastafarians in Antigua have been given a pardon by the state. So Rastas are allowed to use it for recreational purposes, but there are some other real crazy people who want to add other bits to it and skunkify it, and that's where you get messed up. That really is something children, youngsters, older people need to need to avoid. And what's your view on special educational needs, disabilities, things like ADHD, diaspora, um, dyslexia, autism? Are special educational needs, are they related to mental health or is it something totally different? Something totally, I mean, people would make a link and people have different styles of learning. People with, a, with, a, with an issue, I don't like to say disability with an issue, need to be treated in their own environment, and then they would function. Because some people are fast learners and some people are slow learners. And what happened in classrooms, the fast learners get lumped with the slow learners, and the slow learners tend to slow the, slow the whole classroom down. And these slow learners get dumped as being deficient, ADHD, the dunce, the dis No, people have different styles of learning. But schools are not equipped and, and, and built to deal with people with deficiencies. They expect it to function on one level all the time, going back to the same point with, with, um, with, with black people. Without, with the absence of the sun, we can't function. Everybody ain't the same. So there need to be specialized schools of people with ADHD and other disabilities and in their own environment, working at their own pace, they will function. They will function. They wouldn't function as fast as somebody without it. It's not a mental health. It's just a deficiency of salt, which can with, with the right with the right kind of support, they will function. So there's nothing wrong because there are no specialized schools for people with disabilities and they function. 
people now working in different disciplines in life with a disability and you know so people need to learn in their own environment and not to be competing with the mainstream everybody's different everybody's different so yeah it's not a problem at all okay we know depression trauma anxiety are rampant among all communities especially our communities i saw a report that said that even though that communities in the uk are three percent less than three percent but we make up nearly 20 percent of the mental <laughs> institutions in the, in the uk now if a parent a, a loved one uh, a partner has someone who's suffering from depression trauma anxiety what, what would you advise them to do my personal advice is to try first of all to find a black doctor because when you're dealing with issues of your own self, especially people suffering depression of some sort, and you go to the mainstream Eurocentric surgeries, they really don't take your culture into consideration. We, I've had a, I remember how a psychiatrist told me once, black people are overrepresented mental system because the people that's treating them don't understand them. Oh, sorry. Can you repeat that again? That's why that's I have, and this was a Jewish psychiatrist. He said to me, the reason why black people are overrepresented in the mental health system because the people who are treating them don't take the time to understand them. No consideration of post-traumatic slave syndrome and then your trauma or some medication. Maybe that's not that. Maybe that's, you don't necessarily need that. You need someone to talk to. And I strongly advocate talking therapy as opposed to medication, because the medication is a is, is a pharmaceutical business. You don't think the medication that's there to help people with mental health actually cures them? It is just there to make money? Well, it's there to maintain. You know, they're not there to cure you because it's like paying a credit card off on time. The banks will go broke. The, the pharmaceutical industry is a multi-billion pound industry. If they were to cure everybody that's sick, they will go broke. Any business of making you better, maintain you in the system. We have, I work with clients. They're on medication every day. If they were to give people medication to make them better, who's going to pay the bills? Who's going to buy the medication? The NHS is being hard-strapped for cash, but they have to pay for medication. And pharmaceutical companies produce drugs every day. The NHS have to buy it because they're told that people need this. Talking, ter talking therapy is very, very effective, but medication and pharmaceutical companies is in the business of selling drugs. So they will sell you drugs, not to make you better, but to maintain your illness so you function with it. If the word to make you better is one less pong in their pocket. And what vicious, is talking therapy vicious. exactly? Talking Sorry. therapy is counseling. That's really what it is. You have psychotherapy, you have clinical counseling, psychology, talking therapy. Where you use talking as a method of cure, people talk to their problems, people express their problems, they break them and they cry. People say, in other words, get it off your chest. Medication can do that for you. Talking to someone is very, very important when you're stressed out. If you keep it locked up, depression is a living entity. It sits in your body and it sits in your body and it just manifests more anger and more anxiety. But talking to someone, helps to eliminate the anxiety and the whatever imbalance you may have. But talking therapy, caught at the right time, is very, very effective. And I strongly advocate talking therapy anytime over the medical, over the medical model. So by speaking to you and from doing this interview, 
you're saying the reason, the main reason why people of African, Afro-Caribbean heritage are disproportionately represented within the mental health system is due to culturally ineptitude by the practitioners? Of course. I just published an article um, about the over-representation of black in the mental health system, and it's by design. We are not supposed to be left to function and enjoy the privileges of the European. We won't be one. That wasn't part of the plan when we left the plantation. We are a hindrance to these people. So they have to find ways and means of restricting and controlling our behavior and our patterns and our development, either through school, education, or otherwise. It isn't by accident, it's by design. It is by design. The mental yeah. health system and the penal system, those two institutions are by design. You have a population growth of prisons in America. I mean, black people in the prison in America and England is, is just unbelievable. It's not an accident. It's to control and restrict us. And don't forget, population growth is at the forefront of what we're dealing with. There's too much black men in the world. We need to reduce the population. <laughs> Prisons. What about the Latinos? Is it just a black thing? Same thing, same thing. <laughs> Latinos join the crowd. And I will tell people this, who are listening to this. There is a, a documentary by an eminent black psychologist, psychiatrist, psychiatrist, Dr. Ray Higgins. He's got a documentary called The King Alfred Plan. People the King Alfred Plan. The King Alfred Plan. Okay. People need to watch that. I wouldn't, I mean, it's extremely informative. End of. Okay. <laughs> you you wrote an article for um the Black Muslim Forum, which we posted a, a segment of it on the Slum Project Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and which we posted on National Mental Health Day on yesterday. Mm-hmm. And it said, I'm just going to quote part of it. You said research is quoted showing rates of psychotic disorders are high, not just among the African Caribbean community in the UK. They are high for all immigrant groups globally. Greater stigma of mental illness and overdiagnosing of schizophrenia in the African Caribbean community is a barrier to early help seeking behavior. Also, unemployment, living alone, low levels of social support, non compliance with medication, BMJ 2006, mm-hmm. page 333. British medical journal, yeah. It's a fact. It's exactly what it says on the tin. That is exactly how it is. Because let's let's take this a bit further, Shmi. Look at the migrants coming across the channel. Yes. Okay. We have a COVID pandemic. There is no mention of the percentage of migrants being diagnosed with COVID. Yes. And it must be in the hundreds. I would like to know the statistics of the amount of migrants dying from COVID and it must be in the hundreds, but nobody mentioned it. But we have to move away from Western-style psychology, Western-style psychotherapy, Western-style economics, Western-style politics, and develop. there's enough Black scholars in the world to do all of the above. As a, a person who's culturally aware, very culturally focused and uh, a parent and a mental health practitioner. How important is it as black parents that we prepare our children about institutionalized racism in society and not only just prepare our young people for it, 
but also showcase them blueprints of overcoming it. Because some, I realize a lot of black parents, they're not telling their kids about racism because they're thinking, oh, I don't want them to grow up with a chip on their shoulder. Whereby when the kids are flushed out at 16, when they leave school in the wide world, they can't keep, they can't deal with the realities. Let's take example from the Jews. From the time Jewish children, Jewish, Jewish children are born, they know about the Holocaust. That's how I answer the question. They are told about the Holocaust from day one with no apologies written into it. We somehow have become apologetic for what was done to us. We are almost seeking forgiveness for our oppressors for oppressing us. Mm. We can't take that kind of approach in life. Our children need to understand our trauma, our drama, our history, our setbacks. Just like the Jews telling the children about the Holocaust, we have to tell, like I said, we have to tell our story. We have to tell why we are in the position we are in is not of, not for lack of intelligence or lack of trying. Because every time we try to build something, Tulsa, 1926 in America, Black Wall Street, burn flat. How much black people know that? And anything that people rise up to do something progressive, it is destroyed in one form or another. Irish lack of opportunities, theft, fire, whatever the case is, imprisonment. So yes, the question, the answer is black children need to understand why we are in the position we're in is not because we are less intelligent, because we are less important, because of discrimination and racism is at the forefront of the problem. End of. Rashid Rose, we thank you. We praise you. We salute you for your work in the community and the work that you carry on doing with us, the Salam Project, and the work we will be doing together in the future. And you will be hosting some future podcasts yourself sure, too. Sure. But I'm honoured that we've done this interview on post-traumatic slave syndrome, mental health in the black community. And thank you. If anyone wants to get in touch with Rashid Rose, please email admin at thesalamproject.org.uk. And he's available for workshops, he's available for public speaking, and he's available for advice. So thank you very much, Rashid Rose. Sure. May I bless you, Anytime. continue to bless you and your family, and thank you for everything you've done for me personally <laughs> and for the Salam Project. I really appreciate it. All right. The Salam Project podcast 